Hi everyone and welcome to the Neurodiverse Universe podcast with myself Ben Holmes from Autism and Neurodiversity Coaching and um, today's guest is Cara McMurtry, an Olympic athlete who is also autistic. So welcome Cara. Hi Ben, thank you for having me. No problem. Um, so what I do with all the podcasts is go through a few questions and then we'll sort of take it from there in terms of See where it goes from there. Sounds good. So, um, first one is when when were you actually diagnosed as being autistic, if you have been diagnosed? Yes. <clears throat> so I have been diagnosed. Um, mine's a bit of like, I'd say a bit of a sad story, but um, I think it's it's not uncommon. Mm-hmm. Um. So I, I wasn't diagnosed until like 2019. So I would have been like 28, but I actually spent like a lot of my career, my sporting career uh, feeling very different, but also with a misdiagnosis of bipolar disorder. So I think it was about 2013, 2014 when I was diagnosed with having bipolar. Um, and I was put on a lot of medication for that. So I was put on like lithium, lamotrigine, quetiapine. Um, and I spent about five years on those medications and my performance and my mental health was just going slowly downhill. And uh, I couldn't really see the light at the end of the tunnel. I guess I, I kind of, me and my husband were a bit like, well, I mean, it sounds like it sounds like really like a logical view of it. It was much more emotional than this, but it was like I thought medication was supposed to help help a person. Um, so either I'm, you know, you're on the wrong thing or you're not treating the right thing. Um, and then for me, the reason that I was kind of referred to to the people that actually gave me an autism diagnosis was because basically I think my performance was like I said it was dropping off and then a new head coach came in and he said to the coaches like have we done everything we can for this athlete because I think they were thinking about basically giving me the chop um and then they were like yeah we've done everything we can which was basically uh shift me off to the doctor and then the doctor would send me to the priory um and I'd get cognitive behavioral therapy or something like that which is funny looking back because like obviously autism you can't like you can't change it so it's why that's why when I was sat in the room I was like what is going on like I don't need this anyway um so this new performance director was like there's this, this new panel called the UK Sport Mental Health Panel. So I was their first client, sent me to them. It's like a triage for athletes that are, that are having a lot of trouble and might need signposting. And basically they were the ones that re-diagnosed me with autism, said, we don't think you have bipolar. Um, it's just the way that you're presenting under these like extreme circumstances um, yeah. in this environment. And then they they helped me to come off all of the medication. Um, and I basically went from being like the bottom of the squad, the spare to like one of the best athletes on the squad. Um, mm-hmm. 
But obviously, it would have been lovely to have then a lot of years left in sport to really make the most out of myself with this new understanding. But to be honest, I was really, I was done. I was so tired and um, a bit traumatized, to be honest. But at least I got like a couple of years with that understanding of performing really well. And I guess proving a point that with the right diagnosis, with the right understanding, with the right, treat, like I say treatment, I mean more like support for other people. Yep. Um, neurodivergent people can people absolutely can thrive and, you know, outperform neurotypical people in some ways. Um, it's, it's not necessarily a drawback. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. No, I mean, yeah. Just thinking how frustrated I'd be if, you know, you've had all this, this talent there all along and this ability to do stuff and you've not been able to do that because you've been diagnosed wrongly with something else and put into places where you shouldn't be. That must obviously be so frustrating knowing that. But like you say, at least you did get, I mean, I, this is not a good thing. You, you should have had a whole career worth, but obviously at least you found out eventually that's one positive take from it, obviously. But yeah, it's I can imagine how how tough it must have been, um, and how frustrating, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah. I mean, the, the next question I normally ask is what did a diagnosis mean to you? But I think you've kind of part answered that. But is there anything you want to add onto that? Um, I would say I would just agree, like that there was a part of me that was very kind of not not even necessarily frustrated. I was frustrated in the years that I wasn't being listened to. I think and like deep down I knew that I was doing the wrong thing but I was just doing what I was told um but afterwards it was more like a deep sadness um because yeah. a little bit of that time I think because of how heavily medicated I was mm -hmm. it feels like it felt a bit like a big chunk of my 20s I don't even remember like I don't have loads and loads of memories of that time. Um, it's all just a bit of like a dream, which is kind of sad. Um, but yeah, like I still am quite grateful that I I did come out of it. I did turn it around and I did leave on somewhat a good note where I'd proven my own worth to myself and that was what it was all about. Um, and, you know, there are athletes that I've spoken to, because I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it later with what I'm doing with, um, you know, advocating for neurodiversity in sport. Like there are athletes that I've spoken to who have left on really bad notes and like they yeah. never, ever managed to turn it around um, and they never managed to feel uh, like they got the support. And that's really like, that's really sad. Um, yeah. So I feel grateful in that way. Yeah, I understand that. I totally understand. Um, so next one, normally ask again, leading on from that is, how did knowing you're autistic, you're autistic, you're autistic, change your life? So has anything... Mm. Massively. Yeah, yeah, massive. I mean, apart, aside from not being on the wrong medication, that's a huge, like, big ticket item there. But um, yeah. that's not the only thing that we changed. I worked with a therapist and partly to go over the tra traumatic times I'd had. Like I'd, I'd been told that I had a personality problem. 
I'd been told that I was a bully. I'd been told that I was too passionate. I'd been told that I was too blunt. I'd been told to sugarcoat things. Um, I've been made to feel stupid, like all those things I was like a bit traumatized by. So I kind of like worked to bring my self-esteem back. But then also we we worked through understanding how I think and why I think that way, why it's okay. I should stop trying to be neurotypical because it's just, it's not gonna happen. That's why I'm so frustrated and not getting anywhere because it's just not the way my brain works. And then we kind of came up with, we came up with a communication strategy and then I highlighted so I could really spoon feed the coaches and like give them as little as possible to make the, as big a difference as possible. So it's more likely that they were going to be able to continue with that support. I highlighted like three things that would really, really help if they consistently did those things for me. Um, I can't, I think um, I potentially have actually deleted this document because um, between then and now, there's quite a few times where I've been like, no, nah, I'm not, I'm not even autistic. There's nothing, I'm not, I'm just not. And like, I delete it and I delete everything <laughs> because I don't know, I'm, I've still got a weird relationship with the diagnosis just because of the society that I was brought up in when I was younger. Yeah. Um, but from my memory, um, it was like, after a briefing in the morning, you have a briefing and to be fair, before any session, the team briefing, after briefing, if the coach can just take 20, 30 seconds where they come up to me and they just say, Cara, can I just check what you got from that meeting? And then I'll tell them what I heard quickly. Yeah. And it just it just ensures that I've got the right message. Um, and then it ensures there's no uh, frustration and miscommunication down the line because oftentimes what I hear is different to what someone else hears and what, how I process it, how I interpret it. Um, mm -hmm. Another one was like in the morning, um, like I might have trouble communicating my feelings or understanding my feelings or communicating them. So in the morning, don't just ask me, you're right or how are you? Because I'll just say I'm fine. Um, yeah. Ask me like direct questions, like um, has anything changed since we last spoke? is there anything that you are worried about? Things like that. Are you in pain? Like, because I won't, I, don't, I just don't know. It's like, it does not compute some of the questions. And then the final big ticket item was, so I keep using that phrase. Um, the final item was um, for training camps and things. Uh, there being, uh, me being able to access like, plain food it sounds so simple but it makes meal times so much easier and so much less nerve-wracking for me to know yeah. that I can go in and I can get plain pasta and plain chicken without having to ask for it and wait and make a scene and everybody like what are you doing why are you doing that so um yeah. so a bit of the sensory stuff especially when I'm really tired from training even more so I need things to be really simple um and, you know, sometimes I'd need, I need to go and take naps. I need to be in a quiet room away from people. Like I don't, I don't reinvigorate myself by going and sitting with everyone and chatting and laughing. Um, so I think just having that acceptance, uh, not being antisocial, because funnily enough, when I've had my, when I've had my naps <laughs> and when, like when I've like the environment's good, I am a bit of a joker. Like I, I do like to be, 
uh, the center of attention for that moment in time like especially like in the gym when we're doing weights and I'm acting like the big man like I do like it but if I'm going to do that I need to have my downtime so it's kind of like the sensory stimulus and the overload just an appreciation of that so I'd say those are the three big things that I I with the help of this uh, lady I was working with we communicated with the coaches yeah um and we made that happen and one annoying thing is that if I went through a period of this is why I was like I can't do this anymore because it was so hard for me to like keep like it was like flogging a dead horse like if I went through a period of being okay and performing well the coaches would just drop the ball and that was so annoying after like five times of that happening I was like what why can you not get through your head that this is just me it's not a period of time it's not something like a mental health crisis that I need to get through it's just the way that you're always going to have to deal with me um and I'm not asking much so it was good but it, it could have been better and it could have been more prolonged and it could have been less on on you know I'd say it was like 90 percent me and 10 percent other people whereas before it was like I was putting 150% in and everyone was putting like minus 100% in <laughs> so no percentages didn't make sense I know at that but <laughs> yeah I, I get what you mean yeah I get, get the point yeah I mean just going back on a few things you've said there so I think you said a while back about being too passionate I think you said um mm. which is funny <laughs> just just starting mm. it makes me laugh. You're too passionate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need to be a bit more um tone it down, chill out. Yeah. yeah. It's not palatable. Yeah, which is just ridiculous. But yeah, um just on the downtimes, downtimes mm. things, obviously. Yeah, you know, I'm just picturing, you know, you obviously I don't know much about rowing as you know, mm. uh so I'm translating to other things, but you know, you you're doing training all day, whatever it is you're doing. Yeah, which is draining enough if, if you're competing at a high level. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously after some of them are socialising, even if they're just sat on a settee or sat on a sit, you know, sat somewhere yeah. talking. Like, because obviously I come from the same space as you in, in yeah. terms of draining that would be. So I'm I'm thinking about other people. So they see that as like a um and social. Yeah, but that's that's relaxing for them. Whereas oh yeah, yeah. So not doing it, they see. Yeah, they're like, why? Um... Yeah. So yeah, I I can understand the difficulties you may have had there, where you just need to, even if it's half an hour or an hour or something, just mm. go away, a bit, sit on your own or sleep or just what whatever the hell it is, just to be away from the whole eye contact and the whole you know false laughing or yes, or uh, making small talk pretending to be interested in things you're not interested in just yep. generally being like close to people that you don't necessarily fully trust yeah all that sort of yeah I, I can imagine um I mean obviously I'm just thinking of some of the places I've worked in in the past where you know dinner breaks you know some of the office jobs I've had where you sat in the office surrounded by people all day and you know you've got to deal all, with all that you know, while you're in there, then you go on your break, it's like, right, let's get away from this. Um, I'd, I'd eat my dinner outside sometimes, away from people. Mm. It's like, oh, can't be dealing with that. Um, so, yeah, I totally understand that. And um, the other bit you said about um, 
you know, them thinking you're going through a phase like a mental health crisis or whatever, mm. and you just about to it, then you're cured now, and mm. yeah, that's. Uh, I could <clears throat> imagine the frustration of that. I keep saying the word frustration, but the whatever. Um, I mean, it was incredibly frustrating and depressing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like it's like yes, some of my ways I presented or some of the things I went through were probably mental health related, but the crux of it, if you're only ever treating almost like the symptoms of your environment not being right for you then you're never going to actually make a long lasting change or a good enough change like the crux of my issue was not mental health that was just a knock-on effect the crux of my issue was that I wasn't understood um and I wasn't doing things that were right for me and I was like you know uh asking too much of myself that wasn't necessarily but that, like sorry necessary like the amount of times that I was it was suggested I didn't deal with stress very well or I, I you know the talk about stress buckets and um the, the perfect place on you know the scale of being like you know you want you want a certain level of stress you don't want too much and like your downtime and you know mental health see the psychologist see this oh my god like I look back and I'm like what uh, like the definition of, of madness is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result so mm. I kind of like look at the amount of times that I was referred and I was like why did it take um how many years was it six years for a new head coach to come in and say have you thought about this like yeah. You keep sending me to these psychologists and counselors and like looking back, I'm like, you know, I didn't go to medical school. So I don't entirely blame and you know, communication and like and is is my is one of my big um I wouldn't say difficulties, it's like that's where I'm different. Um, so I don't entirely blame myself, but I kind of do think that the people who, whose job it was to, um, look after people's health and wellbeing, I'm a bit like, why didn't you think outside the box? Um, I don't know, but then maybe it is because like even five, 10 years ago, um, it wasn't entirely well known that girls could have autism and it, you know, girls could mask really well and <clears throat> it might present in different ways. So, you know. Yeah. Understand. Yeah. I mean, just, um, and I'll ask your next question in a second, but just, um, just thinking about obviously the, you know, the, the bit I said before about mental health crisis mm. or, you know, or she's just going through a phase or whatever, she's just needs mm. to come out. It almost, I'm thinking about it, I'd almost be tempted to sort of, so you're saying that's when you're performing well or you, you're doing whatever, you're doing well and therefore thinking, oh, she's okay now, she doesn't need all this support. Yeah. I'd almost yeah. be tempted to actually purposely perform less so that you, <laughs> you then, yeah, they keep getting support. <laughs> Yeah, which is just ridiculous. So, yeah. yeah. But anyway, um, 
So when you got your diagnosis, how did friends or family or people around you sort of respond? Well, did you get any response at all in response mm. to? So I I appreciate this podcast is is like you have a lot of um, neurodivergent people on the podcast and listening to the podcast, and I don't want to offend anyone because I know it's wrong how I felt and how I sort of feel in part, but I felt like a huge sense of shame. Like mm -hmm. when I was growing up, um, you know, there was a, there's really negative language around disability and autism and difference. And that's like stuck like a worm in my brain. And so I, I felt really, I felt, like I felt ashamed of like how it made me act but now I look back I'm like no that was the lithium and the environment it's not the autism like my autism that's actually makes me super strong in some ways um I associate the two and I kind of yeah I felt a sense of shame and I was like I don't I felt I didn't want to I didn't want people to feel sorry for me I didn't want people I didn't want to be embarrassed I didn't want people to um think oh she has that so she can't do this yeah so it's taken me a long time to like slowly uh like admit it um and it was only when I stopped rowing this year that I've kind of been public about it and that is partly because of the fact that I really really think that in sport right now if you admit that you have something like autism or, or some other kind of neurodivergence, I really believe that a lot of coaches will get their black book out and put you in it. Yeah. Um, and they will be less, they will stereotype you and they will be less likely to pick you. And, or any small thing, and this is what happened to me in my career, anything that went wrong, Anytime anyone got upset, you will be used as a scapegoat mm -hmm. because they will see you as that diagnosis and that's a negative thing and it comes with being antisocial and something bad happened and therefore it's their fault. They are the problem. Um, yeah. And I think until that changes, people won't, especially athletes, won't be confident to, to, to admit what they are and therefore receive the help and therefore get better performances um, without feeling shame or being ridiculed or being ostracized. Um, but back to your question about like friends and family, uh, like, you know, my husband was, he'd actually listened to a radio interview of a, of a woman. It's weird, it all happened at the same time, but around the time I got diagnosed, he, he it, he kind of like thought it in his head anyway, because he'd listened to a radio interview and he was like, that is Cara all over. It was this woman who, um, I think that she got misdiagnosed as bipolar as well. And then uh, she got a late re-diagnosis of autism and like it completely revolutionized her life. Um, and she had talked about her struggles and her feelings. And he was like, that's, that's Cara. So he kind of, he kind of knew before I did. Um, and he's just like an incredibly 
understanding person anyway um like he's uh kind of like right this sounds bad but not my crutch but like <laughs> like I don't know he's like in a safe place um yeah. Yeah. and I, in all honesty I only really spoke to it to my mum about it this summer right. um I think my parents were the people that I was most nervous to tell. And I don't know why I have this weird relationship with my parents where I feel, um, I always feel like a little bit not good enough. Um, mm -hmm. And so I didn't want them to be like ashamed of me or embarrassed. And they'd probably be really upset like hearing me say that. That's just literally just how I felt. <laughs> yeah. No, I I understand completely. Um that makes sense. So have you received any support since diagnosis from well anyone really? So obviously you, you mentioned um husband, is there you know, any authorities or any anyone, any organizations that's sort of given yes. us so um, the lady that uh, worked with me and gave me therapy, she kept working with me for a while. Um, so, like, as an athlete, you get like Booper care. So, yeah. I think that that got to pay through Booper like, to get like the sessions authorized. So that was that was a really good thing, and I was lucky for that because she's incredible but obviously expensive um I don't think I'd ever be able to afford it myself now I don't I don't have any support really but apart from the support network that I've created and yeah. all of the knowledge that I've amassed um but funnily enough like you know in in, in my years of um being on lithium and uh basically thinking I was mad um, and not knowing my actual diagnosis. Like I've, my support needs were absolutely huge. I think looking back, like I was a mess, but then in the years since I've had an understanding about myself, they've just slowly reduced. And now I feel extremely capable of advocating for myself. Um, if I need support, I'll get it. I'll get it. I'll go somewhere and get it. Like I, I know of a lot of places that I could get it from, but at the moment I don't. Yeah. 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 Not... Kind of, yeah I've learned what's best for me and now I'm, I'm able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's not much, well, I say there's not much sport out. There's, there's a lot of sport out there. In terms of like, I mean, coaches like myself, I, I know a lot of coaches who are offering support, but in terms of like officially funded things, you know, from doctors or whatever, that is just still lagging behind. Generally, there are some areas of the country which are really good for that. Having spoken yeah. to people on here, but others, there's just nothing there. So, yeah, but I think also you, a lot of us sort of find your own, as you say, supporting, you create your own network of support sort of thing. So it's, yeah, it's where we have to do it, I guess, a lot of the time. Mm. But I, I do, I know I'm just such an advocate for 
understanding I think the most crucial like some people do need ongoing support but and I thought at one point I thought that I would forever need support I really really did I felt so incapable but uh said I keep banging on about this but I just think that first bit of need help to really understand yourself and what you need and then from then on like I think that most people can become independent yeah um, and advocate for themselves but mm-hmm. yeah like you said like there, there needs to be if people are getting the right engagement at the start and the right signposting then it's more likely that they won't have ongoing care needs whereas yeah. so uh i'm not i'm not even talking about like serious care needs but like for me like imagine if i continued being treated for bipolar i wasn't signposted i didn't have the right understanding the right diagnosis and the amount of interactions that i needed with psychologists um doctors therapists counselors was was incredible over the years so and that's because it was the weren't hitting the nail on the head as soon as you hit the nail on the head and you take maybe you take a little bit more time at the start to understand the situation and understand the person you get you make sure you you get the right structure tools understanding in place then Mm -hmm. the rest in the long term there's so much less less is needed Um, yeah so that makes sense so next one is do you have um any other conditions slash disorders slash whatever you phrase it as um that you know of uh not that i know of but the more i hear about like adhd the more i'm like mm-hmm. like there's a lot of crossover and yeah um i don't need a diagnosis of adhd but I wouldn't be surprised if I fit the criteria quite a lot, um, mm-hmm. especially with like the dis- like slightly disordered thinking and like lo- having loads and loads of ideas and um, like not being able to keep time uh, and yeah. uh, the hyper focus. Um, and then also, I guess the main reason that I suspect it is because I've, you know, I, I love learning about neurodivergence, neurodiversity. I'm trying to make myself the expert in it. Like, I just, I love understanding. It's been such a big part of my life without me even knowing from, for most of it. I just, yep. I just love, create the understanding. Um, and so I've, I've ended up like hearing a lot of stories about women who have autism, ADHD, who have been diagnosed with bipolar, wrongly yeah. diagnosed, because you have all these ideas and all this energy and all this focus and you put like a thousand percent into it and then you just like burn out and then you need to be in bed for like three days um and it's like it looks like a mood disorder but it's not coming from mood as such it's coming from like your behavior and if you if you try and kind of like as best you can not given or keep some structure you can kind of um stop the like 
the ups and downs being as dramatic. Whereas I feel like if you had bipolar, um, the ups and downs will be there literally no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. It's purely uh, like your mood just fluctuating up and down and it's almost like uncontrollable and the highs are like mega high, like you almost lose touch with reality. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I don't have that. And I, a lot of these people don't have that. They just um, kind of have loads of energy and then crash. Yeah. Like the yeah. Duracell bunny advert, but the other bunny. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, that's what I feel like. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, no, I've, I've, I've come across a lot of women who have said, you know, having read it, spoken, whatever, who <laughs> who said they've been diagnosed with bipolar wrongly and it was actually something else. Um, like so you say. sad. It's so sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, it tends to be more female related. Um, yeah. So, which is, yeah. Well, really. because, Ben, because women are just emotional, aren't they? Exactly. Women are just emotional wrecks and <laughs> they must be prone to these kind of things. Yeah. That was sarcasm, by the way, just to make sure that you understand. <laughs> well, I'm just checking for I got it. I'm just checking just in case viewers because you've got Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why I mentioned it. I was like, wait a minute. A lot of these people will be autistic and they might not understand that, that was sarcasm. Yeah. To be honest with you, I didn't for a split second, because I do that with a lot of jokes. If if you've got a straight because I, I tell jokes with a straight face, which I get people all the time with, but people yeah. do it. It takes a second and then but well, then I feel stupid for not getting it straight away. So then I mask. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're like, oh, I was just like laughing slowly. Don't worry about me. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. So um, there was something I want to say a minute ago, but it's gone out of my head. Right. Like just look at all your questions that you've written down. It wasn't that important. Um, so autism. Um, this question a lot to ask. It's quite controversial because people have very strong views one way or the other. Right. You... I, lo- I love a bit of controversy. <laughs> Me too. Do you see it as a disability? Mm. I have strong views on this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it can be disabling. Um, I think that I think autism that needs more categories. I think that some people are disabled by it fully. I think that I like to view it as a difference because if I do everything my way, I feel completely empowered and enabled. I don't feel disabled. If I have to fit into a world that is not right for me, then I do feel disabled. But I feel like, well, I guess that's the question. It's like, because uh, I was going to say a disabled a, a disabled person is always disabled, but then maybe there are some disabled people that say, well, when I have my prosthetic leg on, for instance, I'm not disabled. Uh, yeah. is, dis- is, is disability a state of being, or is it like kind of like a fact as such? Yeah. Um, no, a state of, uh, what would that mean? Like, is it a moment in time or something that you can't do or is it just something that you always are? 
Yeah, like temporary. I think, yeah, like I think under some circumstances I'm disabled, but um, no. But there, there are a lot of people that would very strongly argue that it is a disability, but then there are a lot of people that would argue that it's a superpower. And it's like, yeah, why? I, I do, I the thing that I don't understand is why like the term Asperger's has been kind of put to the side. I, I understand that the why the word has been kind of outlawed because the person was not a nice person. Yeah. But sure like surely there needs to still be a category for people who maybe like don't feel disabled, maybe are like ex extremely I don't like to use the word high functioning because then it implies that there's low functioning, but, um, you know, does there need to be a different category for people that feel uh, like they're not disabled, for autistic people that do feel disabled, and then also for people who have, uh, as, I don't know if you're allowed to say comorbid, but, you know, intellectual disabilities and things as well. But at the moment, everyone's kind of grouped into one category, or at least people's perception is that if you're autistic, you also have a intellectual impairment, but that's not necessarily the case. Um, yeah. So do you need to start saying autism with intellectual impairment? But that's really long. So, um, you know, either the understanding that it's more of a, like, it is a, a huge spectrum, um that needs to be better understood or to help people who don't know much about it does there need to be like more labels within autism but i think there is like there is a huge i think you can't define you can't say what someone else's experience is so mm -hmm. if you say to me do you believe i say my experience is that it doesn't have to be disabling i wouldn't like the i wouldn't like to be called disabled but sometimes i feel disabled and yeah. i know that other people feel that they are always disabled and i know some people have intellectual impairments and each one of them is right and that's why i think there needs to be different categories yeah the the end <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i completely understand that completely understand um yeah i don't need to give my opinion because i've done it a lot of times on what is your opinion in short in in very short short answer is no in response to the question my, my autistic answer to that is do i say it's a disability no no yeah <laughs> but there's a except, some people some, do yeah similar to what you've said yeah uh, for those people that's that's how if they feel disabled then they are just like they are disabled yeah if you don't think, then you don't but well, why are you in the same category yeah i, th I think that the, i think it's the learning disabilities um or difficulties part is is the crucial bit that connects it so like yeah. in my local area one of the things i mean a few of us are trying to slowly fight against I say slowly because it has to be slow because because people's understanding but is Autism and learning disability gets lumped in together as if it's the they same. They really thing. do, yeah, they do. Mm -hmm. And that is frustrating because there's two completely separate needs there. Um, we don't need people. Who, I don't have a learning disability. It's not the I've dyspraxia, which is obviously um, different. Anyway, I don't need the same things as what someone with learning disability mm. needs. So that's 
so it fits into what you're saying in in that sense. But then if it's a long thing to save and what have you, so I get all that side of it as well. Um, yeah, it's like, and you don't want to be, you don't want to be held back and told that you can't do something because of an assumption that someone's made just as someone with a learning disability or who feels incredibly disabled by the autism doesn't want to be chucked into a situation that they can't take and they feel overwhelmed. And that's why it's really important to have the different differentiation and the understanding from other people. Um, yeah. But that's why like Asperger's was a really useful term. And then, and then there are people that say like, oh, well, that's why. So my actual um, diagnosis is high functioning autism. But again, I'm like, well, some people don't like that term because they're like, yeah. I don't feel high functioning in some ways and people mis misunderstand. They think that I'm not uh, disabled and I am. Whereas, and then on the other hand, the, the, the immediate thing that I thought was, that's really unfair to people that are in the low functioning category. Like mm -hmm. who wants to be called low functioning? <laughs> like that's horrific so yeah. like i don't think they've got it right yet in conclusion i don't think they've got it right yet um, no 100 no no and i mean i'm i've said many times for various people i'm, I'm for me i'm not for the functioning labels at all i understand mm -hmm. why people use them but i don't i, I don't agree with it i, I can understand because i understand every, everyone's angle but um yeah uh, the, the amount of times i've said oh, I'm autistic to someone, either someone new or someone that I know that just doesn't get it. And they'll say, oh, but you're high, you must be high functioning though. Mm. It's a great way that minimises any struggles I have. Yeah, it does, yeah. Yeah, so which just is, again, mm. annoying and you then just... Mm. Yeah, I've had it in the past. Sorry, this just triggered me to... This is a, is a slightly bit of a tangent, but I just thought I'd mention it because it's something that happened like in the last year and um because I sit more on the in the side of like don't disable me enable me but I did I was kind of struggling at the time and seeking help within the team and I kind of put my sorry I, I that noise is my dog at the door trying to get in so apologies if you can hear that um but yeah, so I'm 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 on the sort of like side of of don't don't put me in the disability category. But at the same time, I was struggling at the time, and I did need help, and I did I I I like it took a lot for me to because like I said, I felt a lot of shame and I felt fear admitting like what I was dealing with and who I was to members of the team because I, I was worried about their reaction anyway yeah. I really brought like pulled myself together and brought the courage to talk to someone in the team about it and they basically I don't know if they were trying to to like I'm sorry I have to let this why Apologies. That's <laughs> one thing I can't ignore the noise. Um, yeah, they basically were like, so? Like, you're, yeah, you're autistic, so? Yeah. Like, just get on, like, the, basically it was like, 
just get on with it. And I don't know if they were trying to be like, yeah, it doesn't have to be a problem. You can do this. Like, but it, to me, it really, really minimized the extreme struggles that I was going through and the fact that I needed help. Um, and it's like, I wasn't asking for much help, but the small bits of help, it minimized that the fact that the small bits of help that someone could give would make an absolutely huge difference to my understanding, processing, uh, communication, anxiety. Like it kind of really annoyed me. And it was actually one of the last straws to me being like, this is all a bit, this is all not going in the right direction again. I need to get out of here and fight the fight from the outside. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. Um, so a bit of a random question now, just chucked in there, completely in the middle of all that. Um, give you a second if you need to. Um, so what's your favourite colour, if you have one? Okay. Um, my favourite colour, I think it's probably blue. Yeah. Can you see yeah. this dog? I can, yeah. This is what I'm dealing with. <laughs> so, blue favourite colour. Um, there we go. That's a simple one for that, isn't it? Um, that one can last two seconds or ten minutes. Um, oh, right. Did you want me to elaborate no, on it? No, 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 no. It's um, I like. It has to... changed through my life. It was green, then it was. No, it was blue, green, blue, yellow, blue. That's what, that's my favourite colour in order. Yeah, no, honestly, it, no, you don't have to elaborate on it. It's, uh, I like to ask because some people just literally say the colour and some will say, well, it's such and such because it means this to me, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, but you didn't ask me that, so I didn't tell you that. <laughs> no, well, it's up to you. You can say as much or as little as you want, so... <laughs> Is there any meaning behind it then? I will quickly ask that if there isn't then. Um, I think when when my favourite colour was yellow, it was because I was trying to be happier. I was trying to be someone that I wasn't. Um, yeah. But really my my real favourite colour is blue because I feel like it's it just is such a peaceful colour. Um, but it can also be, it can be so many things. Like royal blue is like so powerful um whereas like a sort of more gray blue is really peaceful um and calm and it's the color of the sky and it's the color of the water um yeah i just think it has so many shades that are nice yeah i would say yeah mm -hmm. um do you have any special interests if so what are they okay um I don't know if I should really admit this. You could say um, as much as you and want. put it out there because I'm never going to get it back. But I have a shell collection. Okay. So when I say shell collection, I mean I will sit on a beach for hours and pick out shells, which you're not allowed to do, but I do it anyway. And I take them home and I clean them. And I sort them into my shell boxes. <laughs> I have so many shells that I have sorted and categorized. Um, that's like my sort of like 
uh, my naughty little like autistic secret. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like like some people have a train train collection. I have shells. Um, oh, it's, it's no cool to hear. It's um, I'm sure a lot of us have supposedly weird things and whatever. I don't I don't use that. Abnormal, really, or even abnormal. Oh, which it's you know it's on the beach and stuff, so it reminds you of it. Well, man, it reminds you of anything, but it's you know it's a nice place where you get them from. They look quite nice, and you mm. get different variations. So that makes sense. Thank you. That makes me feel much better about my shell collection. Just trying to think of some of the things I've collected over the past. Being mass has been one which I know is popular with some people. Um, what have I collected? I've collected some right random stuff that. I don't even need to. Can't think of anything off the top of my head. Dabbing various things. Well, I'm just looking on where I'm sat. I've got loads of Roman soldier things, um, figurines, and lions. I've got a couple of lion things. So yeah. But anyway, um, so another random question thrown in there: If you could meet any celebrity or famous person, past or present. Oh, that's being white. Hard. You could say is, no. I feel like if I met if I met someone, I feel like I'd be really disappointed. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't know if it would be a good thing. Because mm -hmm. you like idolise people and then you're like, oh. The, th the people that come to mind are David Bowie, mm -hmm. um, for some reason, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> what? Um, I mean, those are the two main ones that I can think of right now. Did you ask why? Um, I don't think I actually did, but that is part of it. Oh. Okay, so David Bowie, because... He's just beautiful and, or he was beautiful and talented and weird. And I'm like obsessed with the film Labyrinth. Um, yeah. So I would just love to meet him. Um, and then Arnold Schwarzenegger, because I feel like he's so weird, but funny and such an enigma. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just felt like he'd be a really interesting person to meet and talk to. Like the way that he has been like a strong man, but then also the governor of California and yeah. a number of other things. It just is a bit baffling. And he also just seems really funny um, yeah. in a weird, dry kind of sense of humor way. So he'd be like really interesting to meet, I think. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. So, a couple of things. Um, well, first off, is there anything you want to talk about in terms of your current work, what you're wanting to do, what you are doing, etc.? Yeah, so I guess um, I just like I've been like totally overwhelmed by it the last few weeks because I've like been having a lot of meetings, talking to people, like pushing it. But in brief, I've started a CIC called Neurodiverse Sport or NDS for short. Um, mm -hmm. just like launched the website last week um, I guess the two aims are to promote neurodiversity in sport and like 
educate um, sports teams and organizations on how to be like practically neuro-inclusive, educate and advise. And then like the other aim that's kind of tied to promoting neurodiversity in sport is um, the athlete blog, which is like giving neurodiverse athletes um, a place to, to rewrite the narrative on what it means to be neurodiverse. So that's like combating that current stigma and stereotype that a neurodivergent athlete is an athlete that has something wrong with them or as an athlete that is difficult or as an athlete that you'll have to put a lot of extra work into so it's probably not worth it when you're weighing it up um so I'm kind of like going out there and interviewing people or they can write their own blog and I'll put it on my blog but eventually I'm hoping to get like a really long blog of like loads of stories or links to podcasts podcast episodes or if people want to put audio on there, that's fine. But loads of stories where, you know, a neurodivergent athlete can go and, you know, I'm doing the legwork to basically get these stories out there because they're not out there and people don't want to disclose it sometimes. And, um, you know, neurodivergent athletes can go there and be like, oh, oh my God, there are other people like me. They have made it. Like, this is how they did it. Because this doesn't exist at the moment. Like, there are no... Like there's probably 10 people who are openly neurodivergent, like 10 elite athletes that are openly neurodivergent that yeah. I could name or look up on Google when there's going to be like hundreds of thousands of them in real life. So I think it's like so important to like have a place where people can go and be inspired and see people like themselves, like see representation. And then hopefully as well, it will help me learn so I can advise better and it will be somewhere where other people can go and have a look and learn in a more interesting way. Um, Because hopefully I'll make the stories interesting or the episodes or whatever. So that sounded, did that sound really complicated? I hope it didn't. Makes sense to me, but um, if you want to summarise it, you can do just in case anyone. Well, just I guess it is what it is. There's nothing. There's nothing for neurodiver neurodivergent people in sport right now. There's literally nothing. There's no central body or charity or anything. Yeah. So I'm trying to fill that space in the in the best way that I can see, but I'm learning at the same time. Um, and like. Yeah, I'm an expert by experience. I've done everything that you can possibly do wrong. I talk to a lot of people and I want to change the space. I don't want it to be a shameful thing. I don't, I'm ashamed of myself for feeling shame. (laughs) I'm going to try and change the space so like future athletes don't have to feel that. They don't have to feel held back. They can ask for what they need to ask for. Yeah, no, I think that's that's great. I think that answers it perfectly. and as you know, I'm very passionate about that as well. So yeah, mm. it's yeah, no, it's has to start somewhere. So um like you say, the amount of athletes who will be no diverse or af- or could have been athletes mm. that are no diverse that weren't because of 
not being supported. So it's yeah. um it's shameful yeah. and it doesn't need to happen. Yeah. So, so it's quite a few things I could talk about here, to be fair. So I mean one of them was like just going in more into being autistic and being an Olympic athlete, like I mean that could be a whole podcast in itself, really. So yeah, I mean just I mean you've talked about a lot of the struggles. I mean just I don't know, is there anything else you feel you'd like to add on that? Like, you don't have to. Um so like I mean you talked about challenges, there's the strength side of it which you barely touched on, which obviously is definitely a thing as well. So yeah, is there anything like yeah, I guess like this Yeah, I guess like my I find it hard to like talk about my strengths. I don't know why, but I am, I can be extremely focused. Mm -hmm. Like I can, I will, I'm like a dog with a bone. Like I won't stop if I have a goal. Um, and I'll put that goal first in every situation. I'm like very diligent. I think all of these things are like neurodiverse traits. Um, mm -hmm. I, like, I actually kind of enjoy the hard work. Um, I enjoy kind of spending time with myself in my own head when I'm doing the training. Um, yeah. uh, I don't know. <laughs> I swear this is like um I I swear like I'm I've made this connection like a few times with a few people, but I have a feeling that like neurodivergence maybe sometimes comes hand in hand with like just being strong. And I don't know why. And maybe in the future they will find out that may like neurodivergent people have like more testosterone or something like that, but I found that a lot of like autistic people are just really, really strong. And I found that was one of my super strengths was that in the gym, I could lift so much. Um, like I, it would, I think I shouldn't have done weights in my career. Like whenever I did weights, I got too heavy and too muscly. Um, and it kind of held me back. Like when I, when I did less weights is when I got my PBs. Um, that's a weird connection to make but I, I it's a theory of mine <laughs> um, to me it makes a lot of sense um yeah. it does I think this is my take on it um I think ADHD one of the strengths that can come with ADHD is a lot of driving ambition motivation mm. which can then lead into the thing you just mentioned there so competitiveness mm. as well I think so therefore competitiveness if you're in the gym as wrong as this is in many ways, it's right and wrong. But if someone's doing a certain way, you want to do slightly more than that, at least. Stuff like not. Yeah. Like, I know, like one of my, me and my friends, we used to be like it. And um, we'd literally, like, if one was doing, say, 60k, just making a random number, saying, you know, doing 60kg, like one of the other one would sneak on 62 and a half or whatever without telling the other one. And then you'd be like, you little cheeky, whatever. And then, yeah, you know what I mean, like, so. There's that side of it. I know. I know a lot of people would do that. Now, 
whether they would have. I know, I know it's not a neurodivergent only thing, but little things like that and sort of self, you know, not wanting to let others down, but also not wanting to let yourself down. Um, standards, I think standards fits in with it. Perfectionism can go hand in hand with, say, OCD, which is not, well, some people call it neurodivergent, some people don't, depending on how you sit on that. It's like also like not cutting corners, being very diligent and like honest and honest with yourself and honest with other people, I think it's yeah. like a big thing. Um, mm-hmm. If you say you're going to do something, you'll do it. Like being very much like action oriented, not being distracted by like things that maybe neurotypical people might be distracted by or need mm-hmm. in their life. Yeah, and I think I think the other another thing is is um, I can't speak for all the everyone and whatever, but like with ADHD, like having regular exercise helps mm. help yeah. with ADHD um, more so than other people. Um, mm. Again, that would fit in um, if you're not exercising. Um, I find there's a few different types of people with ADHD. Like some people exercise religiously, relentlessly. Mm. It helps them. Others do zero exercise and they sort of deal with things differently because they've got no energy. But then I, I do feel that those ones that don't exercise, or ADHD, I do feel if they got somehow could manage to mm. get a sort of routine of doing that, it would work wonders. I'm, I'm convinced of that. I'm not saying it's great, yeah. one, but, but yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I think exercise is always really hard to make into a habit if it's not a habit or if it doesn't come naturally, but I think that it can help anyone and everyone. I know that when I don't exercise, I get I get ratty and I get sad and I just... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just, like, my brain almost goes to mush. Yeah. Um, and that's even, like, with a day, day without it. <laughs> On my day off, I, I need a day off because otherwise, like my body starts to hurt, like all my old injuries start to hurt, but then I know that I'm going to be really sad that day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, makes sense. So, um, I was going to mention the bipolar med situation, but I mean, I think you've talked a bit about that. Is there anything, you don't have to add anything on that, you just, I think it's a real important thing to talk about in some space whether it's here or somewhere maybe not here but But I I think I really need to figure out a way to kind of get that story heard but I just think it's on reflect the further away that I get from it the more I'm like that was that was absolutely appalling (laughs) like that was because I I think for people who don't know about the medication they might just be like oh you're on you're on some medication you shouldn't have been on a medication but like the quetiapine was not even the main thing that I was on. And that's an antipsychotic. Like, it's like a tranquilizer. And I've got two other drugs that I was on every day, huge amounts. Yeah. It's insane. Like they measure, they, they give you blood, regular blood tests to measure the titration of lithium in your blood because you can, you can have, uh, you can get lithium poisoning if you have too much of it. Yeah. So, my poor kidneys. <laughs> That's what I'd say. My poor, more kidneys. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. 
I need to figure out, I'm still figuring a lot of things out. I'm still figuring out how to get, I know my message is important. I know my story is important. I'm driven by care for other people and wanting to make sure that other people similar to me don't have to go through what I went through. Mm-hmm. But I'm entering a world that I'm, I've avoided for so long because I felt so unempowered and insignificant. And so I'm just learning a lot at the moment. So I'm still figuring things out. Yeah, well, I understand that. So, um, yeah, is there anything in particular you want to mention about autism or about sports and autism, or is anything? Um, if there isn't, no, I just not. But I just, I just really think that it needs to be not a taboo, taboo subject. It just needs to be like normalised and, um, like. I do. I really do think the world is moving in the right direction, mm-hmm. and I actually think COVID helped that a little bit because yeah. it gave people the power to say, you know, what I work a lot better when I work from home, and like, yeah, some people can't be trusted with that, but some people will work so much better. I have a better quality of life. What's the point in living, right, if you can't be happy, and mm-hmm. like, you work so much in a week to earn money why why be miserable it's not like a prerequisite to be miserable like you know we don't live in the industrial revolution where like so many of us would have had had to do rubbish jobs or be peasants on the street like society has moved on you would hope since then like why do we feel that everyone has to conform to a certain standard and that makes some people really happy some people love going into the office what about the people that don't? Why should they be, live miserable lives when they can do just as good a job from home? Like, just trust them. If they don't do a good job, then you can fire them. But like, give them a chance. Uh, yeah, I do think like the world is going in that direction. So I'm just glad that I came away from sport after COVID and not before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm. No, it's, it's interesting you bring that, the, that up. I mean, just think about me personally as well, why you're saying that, like, literally, if COVID would have happened like a year, a year or so earlier, mm. uh, well, no, say a couple of years earlier, um, I may have never found out I was autistic, potentially, and I mm. may, um, basically, the job I was in at the time, I... Um, we're begging to work from home. Like, why can't we do some work from home? Yeah. And and they're like, no, is it as if you can work from home? Because they think that you, they think they make the assumption that you want to slack off. Yeah. Yeah. And then fully enough, that same company are now operating predominantly from home. (laughs) Um, So I took me with my money and my redundancy from them. So thank you. But yeah, um, in that period, that's when I found out I was autistic and blah, blah, blah. Because of some of the shit I'd gone through, don't swear I've done it myself now. Some of the the stuff <laughs> I'd gone, I'd gone through myself at, at work. Um, had I not gone through all that stuff, I might not have then gone down the autism path and figured it out for mm. myself. Which is, I might not be here doing all this. So yeah, every might... every cloud has a silver lining. So yeah, it's kind of good that maybe it's good that it happened when it, that kind of change happened when it did because. Yes, yeah. you were put in an uncomfortable situation, but it, it allowed you to see the difference between the bad and the good. And you didn't have to stay there for very long. 
in the grand scheme of your life. Yeah, hundred percent. I know, hundred percent. Yeah, just weird how one little change can literally change everything. The path, but yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. So, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? Uh, not really. Like, um, no. I I would just say to you, like listeners, if anyone's if anyone is a neurodivergent athlete and they want to have a platform to tell their story, then feel free to get in touch with me. Um, and if anyone has any other ways that they think they might be able to help, then also get in touch. Basically, I'm open to conversations with anyone because I'm just eager to absorb as much information as possible. Only on the thing that I care about, which at the moment is neurodiversity and neurodiversity. So. <laughs> yeah, or shells. Um... Or shells. If you are a shell expert, like, also, please don't dob me into the police. Not that they would care, but. <laughs> I didn't know that was illegal. I mean, I've never. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty I... sure that you're not allowed to remove shells from the beach. Oh. Yeah. There you go. Learn something new every day. I'll, I'll have to yeah. Later. I just can't help myself. I just see a lovely, shiny little shower and I'm like, I need to pick you up. Oh, and there's another one. Oh, and there's another one. And then it's two hours later and I've got like all of my pockets are full of smelly shells and I'm just like, oh, crap. <laughs> I say it's not. Yeah, I don't think it's that. Probably it's bad at all, but yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. By the way. Right. So yeah, thanks for being on the podcast. Um, and thanks everyone for listening as always and yeah so thanks Cara and thank you we'll we'll keep in touch anyway so yep yeah, definitely thanks guys